0: Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, Episode 59. I'm your host, Derek Moore. This week, we're going to be talking about the Federal Reserve. It was kind of a big week in Fed news, and so it's kind of top of mind for a lot of folks. I thought I would do an episode just kind of reviewing what it is the Federal Reserve does when they raise or lower rates, how it sort of affects different areas of the market, what affects mortgage rates, it's actually not necessarily the Fed directly. And also, we'll talk about these probabilities of future rate cuts or rate increases. Like, How does that happen? Uh, What is it that people are looking at when they talk about, hey, there's a 50% or 100% probability of a future rate cut? How do they get that? So there's sort of a couple ways to do it. Um, And I'll also link to some resources. So first off, The Fed Reserve typically will have, oh, you know, they they have set meetings. Uh, But what happened last week on March 3rd, Tuesday, is they had an unscheduled meeting where they came out and they lowered the Fed funds rate by 50 basis points. 50 basis points is equal to one half of a percent or 0.50. And so 100 basis points is equal to 1%. So when you hear basis points, that's kind of what you're you're seeing there. But they did an, an unscheduled meeting. And typically what happens is, the, I'm just looking at the schedule for 2020. The Federal Reserve met in January. They'll meet March 17th and 18th. And it's normally the second day that they come out with, uh, either they did nothing, they, they did something. And uh, it used to be certain meetings would have a press conference and some wouldn't. And people used to say, well, if there's no press conference scheduled, then they probably aren't going to do anything. In fact, it's, you know, the Federal Reserve didn't always do press conferences uh, back when Greenspan and prior to that, they would just sort of come out with the news. So they're more transparent nowadays. But um, January, March 17th to 18th, they have an, a meeting at the end of April, June, July, no August, September, no October, November, and December. And so what people are always trying to figure out is, hey, what do we think the Fed is going to do at these meetings? So let's get into it. They lowered the Fed funds rate by 50 basis points or a half of a percent. And it used to be that the Fed funds rate was a simple rate. It was just a number. So it's 1% or it's 5% or whatever it is. And now what they've been doing is, and I forget how many years this has been done, might be over the last eight or 10 years or so. But they have sort of a range. And so after the cut, prior to the cut, the range was 150 basis points to 175 basis points. And that would be 1.5% to quarters percent was the range. And with that 50-point basis cut, they now the new current range is 100 basis points, or 1%, to 125 basis points, or 1.25%. And so what did they do? Okay, well, the Fed funds rate, first of all, that is the rate that banks uh, lend to one another. And typically, they might lend, you know, Bank A needs a little bit of money to top off their reserve requirements. Bank B lends it to them. That's the rate that banks lend to one another at. The discount rate or the discount window rate is if the Federal Reserve were to lend money to banks, uh, that's called the discount rate. There's also, um, and this was right before, I think, the 2008, I can't remember the exact date, but they used to not pay banks for any excess reserves they parked at the Federal Reserve. But now they have something called the Interest on Excess Reserves, or IOER. And that's the rate that if a bank has excess reserves and they want to go park it at the Fed, so to speak, they have an account at the Fed. Uh, the Fed pays them interest on the excess reserves, and so these are all sort of the the different things that uh, when you hear what the Fed did, um, in effect, they lowered the interest on excess reserves, they lowered uh, the Fed funds rate. You know, th- those are generally the things that they do. So when they do that, when they raise or lower interest rates, that does have an effect on other areas of the market. So, for example, the prime rate, and the prime rate is generally, it's about three hundred basis points or three points above the Fed funds rate, and that's the the prime rate is generally what's uh, what people consider. You know, banks lend to their best customers. That's like the prime rate. So, if you if you Google that, generally the the back of the napkin example is, hey, what? What do banks charge their best customers? it's generally about 3% over the Fed's funds rate. And so there's an example of where you can see that potentially loans come down, uh, those types of things. Uh, The Fed can also, by the way, uh, and they didn't this time, and they haven't for quite some time, but they can also change the reserve requirements. Remember, banks are only required to keep a certain percentage of customer deposits on hand. They, they lend out. It's called the money multiplier. And they could actually say to banks, hey, we need you to keep more. If they want to make money tighter, they increase the reserve requirements. If they wanted to loosen monetary policy and get more cash into the system, so to speak, they would actually lower the reserve requirements. They didn't do that this time. but And, and generally, that's not something. I can't remember the last time that they they actually changed that. So just thinking about the Fed funds rate, um, and there's actually the New York Fed. And I'll link to a lot of this stuff. uh, But the New York Fed actually publishes something every day. It's called the EFFR, or the Effective Fed Funds Rate, hence the EFFR, right? And so it had been about 159, and right around 158, 159, and then after the change, it settled back. The first two days after the change at 1.09. So remember that you've got you've got the effective or the target rate, and then you've got the effective Fed funds rate. That's the the rate that's actually there, right? Um, so sometimes it it's more towards the lower end of the range, and sometimes it's towards the higher end of the range. It's kind of beyond the scope of this podcast, but. Um, but just to give you an idea, one1% to one and percent is now the target range. And at least the first two days that they published the effective Fed funds rate afterwards um, it's 1.09. All right. So the other thing I would say before we talk about the probability aspect of this is a lot of people think, well, you know the Fed funds gets lower, that means my mortgage rate is lowered as well. Not necessarily. And here's why. Mortgage rates are more generally based upon you know, the 10-year Treasury, the 30-year Treasury. And the Fed funds rate does not necessarily impact a mortgage rate directly. It may impact in a roundabout way what happens to bonds on the further end of the curve. But the Federal Reserve really only has direct immediate or yeah, direct impact on short the short end of the curve, meaning the shortest duration of bonds, and so typically, you know, when the when the Fed funds rate was a quarter point for close to a decade after the financial crisis, um, you didn't see, you know, one year bonds weren't paying one or two percent. They were pretty much going to be paying what the the Fed funds rate was, and so the very short end of the curve, the Fed definitely controls that, I would say, but the longer end of the curve, that's more. It uh, more has to do with supply and demand, uh, buyers and sellers. It has to do with uh, the market perception of interest rates and where they're going. And there's also other things, like sometimes if you're a large bank and you write a lot of mortgages, if you wanted to hedge uh, a lot of people refinancing their mortgages, if rates went down, you might own treasuries to sort of hedge it. It's called convexity hedging, beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about today. But um, but just to to be clear- um and also by the way we've seen rates for the first time ever on the 10 year go below 10%. um they went i think they've bottomed out about 0.75% or 3 quarters of a percent. Of course most of Europe has been negative for quite some time. We have never had negative rates in the US. But the 10 year coming down and the 30 year coming down. The 30 year I think was 1.6 or something like that. Um, and that's the lowest the thirty-year yield has ever been. Those uh, yields on those bonds um, are sort of related to mortgage rates. And so, if you're rooting to be able to refinance your your mortgage, and remember we talked a little bit about that in the episode last week. You know, should I refinance? Should I not? Should I put money towards my mortgage, or should I, you know, periodically invest it up my four hundred and one k? Those types of things. Um, that's actually comes into play because uh, the lower the, the, uh, uh, the rate on the 10-year or the 30-year, theoretically, the lower your mortgage. It doesn't go by that directly. Typically, there's a spread between what the mortgage rate is and what the 10-year or the 30-year bond rate is. But a good proxy is uh, certainly looking at the 10 and the 30-year yields and then adding you know a number of percentage. It's not fixed. But generally, historically, you can see that uh, there is a correlation in the movement of ten-year and thirty-year bonds, U.S. Treasury bond yields, and also the uh, the rate that you get on your you pay on your mortgage. So if you're reading to refinance, you want rates to go down, and obviously yeah, fees and things like that. And and I would encourage you to listen to last week's episode because we did get into some of the ideas. Of, you know, sometimes if you're later on in the mortgage, it may not make sense to to refinance even if your rates higher because your principal payment's so high. Uh, but I'll, I'll, let, I'll post uh, a link to that as well. OK, now, the whole idea, let's get into this probability game. And the probabilities, and I'll link to the CME, uh, Chicago Merc- Mercantile Exchange, they trade a lot of futures contracts, uh, all different types. They also trade what's called the Fed Funds futures contract. And what this is. So you think about, we just talked about the meetings and when those meetings are, those Fed meetings. Well, what they do is they actually, there's a contract, the Fed Funds Futures contract uh, that trades and has a price. And so to give an example, uh, the mid price, the last trade was 99.1225. And you're probably like, I have no idea how that relates to, uh, to probabilities on the Fed Funds rate. Well, The nice thing is the CME has the FedWatch tracker and they actually post uh, the target rate probabilities and you can click on the different um, meeting dates um, and you can kind of see what the Fed Fund's futures are implying. Uh, But let me kind of explain it a little bit. The way that you extract uh, a probability at least this is the way that that I did it, Um, the way that they do it is a little more complicated and probably more correct because you're actually using not necessarily the last price that you get on the Fed Funds future, but you might use a weighted average price based upon the different closes, the openings, um, those types of things. Uh, I'll link to it. You can read more about it. But when I gave you that 99.1225, the way that you sort of... um, figure out what it's telling you, the futures contract is implying is you take 100 minus the price, so 99.1225, and you get 0.8775. So basically, that's implying that the Fed funds rate uh, is about 0.8775. You might say, wait a second, you just told me the current one is 100 to 125. Uh, That's right. Uh, But these trade and basically, you know, there's any number of reasons why people would trade these. or um, But one of the ways that you can sort of extrapolate a probability is taking, let's say, uh, the Fed funds, um, the 100 minus whatever the price is of the, so this is the March contract. And the price of the March contract was 99.1225. It expires March 31st. The Fed meeting date, of course, is, uh, is the 18th of March. And in order to, so you assume a 25 basis point or quarter point increment of a cut or a raise. And so the way that you used to do this is you take, you know, the current rate is 100 to 125. Well, if they were going to cut 25 basis points, the new range would be 0.75 to 1%, right? Or 75 basis points to 100 basis points. And so, if the Fed funds 100 minus whatever the Fed funds future is trading at, um, you basically do a little bit of math 0.8775 minus 0.75, which, if they lowered a quarter point, would be the new lower bound. And you get 0.1275. And then you divide that by the size of the rate cut, assumed 0.25. And the back of the napkin says about there's a 51% chance or probability. That the Fed will cut another quarter point, you know, quarter basis point, 25 basis points or a quarter point, right? It's the same thing. So, this got a little bit um, more difficult when they went away from the single Fed funds target. Now they have the range. And you've also got to look at what the actual Fed funds, uh, you know, the Fed funds is trading at. But the back of the napkin, the way we used to do it, was how I just explained it. Uh, The nice thing about going to this tool, and I'll, of course, link to it in the show notes, you just have to scroll down a little bit and click the link, is you can go on there and you can look, for example, um, I'm looking at the June, let's see, there's a June, I'm sorry, July 29th meeting date, and this contract expires at the end of uh, July and basically, what it's saying is it gives you the range. So it's saying there's a 19.4% chance the rate by then will be uh, half a percent to three quarters of a percent, a 51% chance you'll be a quarter point to a half point. And then 29%, you'll be 0 to 25 uh, sort of range. Remember, right now, we're 100 to 125. Now, these move around, and it's interesting to see. Uh, in this page as well, if you go towards the bottom, you'll see, you know, right now they're saying there's a 29.6% probability. This is according to the CME tool uh, of a range of zero to 25 basis points. Again, right now we're 100 basis points or 125, but one month ago there was a zero percent probability. So um, these things can move around, and it's sort of dynamic. And, and there's they explain their methodology, um, and it's much more it's much more involved or, let's say, advanced than the, the example I just gave you. That was sort of the, the back of the napkin way. Um, but this is one of the ways that when you see stories about people saying, hey, you know, the futures are pricing in uh, X percent probability that the Fed will raise or lower rates at the next meeting, um, this is how they're doing it. They're actually going in and they are Looking at the Fed, the effective Fed funds rate, they're looking at over a number of days. They're weighting it based upon the number of days, and then they come up with these probabilities. And so I'll, I'll link to that. Um, the other thing I'll say too: a lot of people say, "Ask me, hey, you know, when the Fed lowers interest rates, w- what does that do for the stock market, or what does it do?" So a couple things. I mean, in theory, what it does it affects the present value of, let's say, future earnings or future cash flows. And maybe I'll do another episode where you get into that a little bit more and what that means. But I thought I'd I'd sort of summarize with a, a good example of how lower interest rates make future payments or future, let's say, earnings more valuable in today's dollars and something called the future value and, and present value. And I'll give you an example. Let's say in one year, you were going to get a payment of $100,000. Say, great, I'm going to get $100,000. But you're going to get it in one year, and a dollar today is worth more than a dollar in a year, uh, I guess in theory, unless you use a negative discount rate. That's a whole other discussion. I did a an episode on uh, kind of, I called it wacky negative interest rates. I'll link to that as well. But if you get a payment of $100,000 a year from now, and the current, let's say, discount rate or the, the rate that you could get risk-free is 10%, the value discounted of that $100,000 payment, discounted to today by the 10%, the value is only $90,909. And you might say, wait a second. you just told me you're going to get a $100,000 payment. Well, you are, but you're going to get it in one year. And you missed out on the opportunity to get a risk-free return of 10%. You're probably saying, well, there is no risk-free return of 10%. And there hasn't been. Uh, you would write, you'd be right since sometime in the 80s. Um, but let's say we take that same $100,000 payment And we say interest rates are 1% risk-free that you could get. And now we discount that $100,000 not by 10%, uh, but we discount it down from the future value to the present value using 1%. Well, now, instead of being worth $90,909, the payment of $100,000 in one year discounted at 1% is $99,009. And so the point of me going through that is just to explain that uh, companies earn, you know, they they have earnings, they have net income, they create cash flow, uh, free cash flow, all those types of things. And when analysts are looking at companies and they're trying to do intrinsic valuations, um, they have to usually discount down, and it's more more complex than let's say just what I did. Uh, but they've got to look at the cost of capital, and part of the input of the cost of capital is the risk free rate. And so, in theory, when interest rates drop. The value of future earnings are worth more because they don't have to be discounted down by quite as much, and so maybe in the future I'll do an episode on that. Um, but a couple things. So just to kind of wrap up, Fed Federal Reserve controls the near end of the, the curve, meaning the the closer the closer in, uh, the least duration U.S. Treasuries. Uh, the Fed has an effect on those. Um, the further out is. It's affected by what the Fed does, Uh, but buyers and sellers, supply and demand, all those types of things, the market has more of an effect on the longer end of the curve. And when the Fed funds rate changes, the Fed funds rate is what banks lend to one another at. Uh, The lower the rate, the less the interest is. Uh, The interest on excess reserves, as I said, is the interest that you get from parking. If you're a bank, you park your reserves at the Fed, and they pay you that. Um, And then you know, the other thing, too, is just- uh, when we think about lower interest rates, if it has the effect of lowering, let's say, what a corporation um, has to pay when they issue bonds, that could potentially be interesting or helpful to companies. Let's say they have a bond issue that's coming due and they want to sort of refinance that loan. In theory, their refinance rates, all else equal, assuming you know the same credit rating and market environment. Um, their refinance rates might go down as well. So interest rates are a vital part of the economy, vital part of the market. Uh, changes in interest rates can have, uh, you know, impacts uh, in any number of ways in the market. Uh, but now you know a little bit more about when the Fed comes out and does something. Uh, they, that's kind of what's going on. And the next chance you'll have to, to hear that is the March 18th meeting when they'll do a press conference and announcement. What they'll do, well, we'll see. All right, folks. Um, we're going to wrap it up here, but make sure you share this with somebody. Go ahead and email the link to to anybody rather than waste time rating, reviewing and all that stuff and starring it in five stars. If you want to do that, that's fine too. Uh, but go ahead and share this with someone if you think they would benefit from it. All right. We'll be back next week with another episode.